Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. In this weekly podcast, you'll be inspired and equipped with the power of God's Word to live an overcoming life. In this week's teaching, we will learn how to rely on the character, strength, and ability of God, even through difficult situations. And now, for this week's message. But blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe. And that's us. We haven't seen Jesus, but we believe in him. We haven't seen God, but we believe in him. And we're not the only ones. Moses, he didn't see God, but he left the king. The king was very mad when he left Egypt. And when he left, he didn't see the king, but he trusted God, had faith in a God that he couldn't see, and he followed him. He gave him great confidence. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. God gave us a spirit of power of love and a sound mind. And so we we serve a God. We trust in a God that we can't see, but he's very, very, very real. Nicodemus, very educated scholar, and the Lord had said to him, you know, once you're born naturally, another time you're born of the Spirit, and he didn't understand it, and the Lord explained to him. He said, it's like the wind. The wind comes and goes. You can't see where it came from. You can't see where it goes, but you can see the effect of the wind. I can't see God. I can't touch God. I can't smell God. My five physical senses can't get around that, but I can see the effect of God. Your memory verse for this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. I'll put it up on the screen for you. It's a very long memory verse this week for you. I hope you can handle it very long. How many words is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight words. Think we can do that one. Let's say it out loud together. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by trust, we could say, not by sight, not by our five physical senses. We trust in the Lord with all our heart. We lean not to our understanding. Your five physical senses bring information to your solar realm, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your heart is bringing spiritual information to you. And we trust God with our heart. We're led by our spirit. Now, when we trust God, there's three things that I want to review today, just a review, just a foundation on how we put our trust in God. One, we put our trust in God because we have his word. This is probably the most important. We trust God based upon his word. The Bible is actually not a book. It's actually 66 books. And if you study, you'll find out that it's written by 40 different authors over a span of about 1,500 years. And these guys didn't really know each other personally. Many of them didn't. They were living in different times of history. They didn't have Facebook. They weren't connected on the Internet. They didn't say, oh, by the way, I'm writing this now. Can you, a couple hundred years later, can you make sure this happens? It's a miraculous, supernatural book. It's filled with prophecies. Very accurate prophecies, 2,000 alone in the Old Testament. No other religious writing has that. When our Lord was crucified, the, the prophecies, predictions around that event alone, there's something like 30 very accurate prophecies. When you study archaeology, you'll find that it verifies the scriptures. It's the number one seller year after year. It's been persecuted. People try to burn it, eradicate it, but it continues to resurrect itself and be the number one seller. The number one app soon to cross the billion milestone for downloads is called YouVersion. There's just something about God's inspired word. In John we read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So this is very foundational. And if that's still a hurdle for you to believe that God's word is inspired and can be trusted, I encourage you to come to the Alpha Course 
on Monday night, starting a week Monday. Nicky Gumbel does an amazing job of walking through that and just showing you again. He's a previously was a lawyer. He walks through it. It really helps establish why you can put your trust in your way into God's Word. Another reason we trust God is because we see His power at work. Last night, we had water baptism. Folks, it was amazing. We went down to English Bay, and it was like God set the whole thing up. The sun was going down. The water was calm. The tide was in. And, yeah. There's a real special moment. I don't know if anybody other caught it, but I was baptizing this one person. And as I was baptizing them, I saw this little fish about maybe 10 inches long just jump on the water right beside me. And I thought, I think of that verse, I'll make you fishers of men. And it was just God, a little, you know, he, he speaks to you. And it was just so special to me. I don't know if anybody else even saw it. But we had seven people baptized. A number of them gave their story, their testimony about how God was at work in their life. You know what the greatest miracle is? Is one person was this way, and now they're this way. I once was lost. I am now found. I once was in darkness. I am now in light. Greatest miracle. And so when we see the power of God at work, our trust level goes up. Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, that your faith or your trust should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul went to them and said, I didn't come to you in the wisdom of men. I came preaching the word and demonstrating the power of God. When I see answers to prayer, witnesses sharing how Christ changed their life. In Hebrews, we read that we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses, all testifying about this life of faith or trust. So that caused us to put our trust in God. Another reason we can put our trust in God is we just see God's design all around us. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, from the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly observed in what he made. As a result, people have no excuse. So we can see God at work around us. Three ways to put our trust in him. This morning, we'll talk about three guys who put their trust in him. Now, these three Hebrew young men, late teens, early 20s, they absolutely put their trust in God. Sixth century B.C., so they would have had Moses' writings. They would have been around. They would have had Isaiah, the minor prophets, what David wrote, what Solomon wrote. So those writings would have been around. They would have had that to put the trust in. They certainly heard stories about the power of God. They heard stories about coming out of Egypt and different miracles, Goliath, those stories. They would have heard about that. And they also would have seen, like you and I, God's handiwork. So somewhere along the way, these three young men had an incredible faith, trust, in God. And we're going to share that today. So if you have your Bibles, go to Daniel chapter 3. And this is where we pick up this story about these three guys. Now, it's interesting to say that they're living in present day Iran, back then called Babylon. The king of that country, Nebuchadnezzar, he had gone there and he had taken captives. He conquered it. He conquered Egypt. He conquered much of the then known world. He was the power of the world. And so he brings them back to Babylon. And he says, I, wanna, I want you to check out all the captives that we have and bring me the brightest of the brightest. Bring me the smartest ones you've got, and I want to train them. And I want to educate them. I want to put them on a scholarship. I want to give them the very best, and I want the smartest minds to come work for me. 
You know, as Canadians, we, when we have immigrants come to our country, we look for smart minds to come help build our country. Well, this king's no different. He's looking for smart minds to build his, his, uh, his empire. And so he's got these three amazing guys. Actually, four. We'll talk about three. He's got Daniel. He's got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, when they come there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we'll talk about those three guys today. He strips them of their identity. He, he wants them to be totally immersed in their culture. They're Chaldean, Persian, Iranian, Babylonian, however you want to frame it, in that culture. That's what he wants them to have. So he says, first of all, I'm going to change your names. All three of these guys, now this is important, all three of them are named after one of the gods their people worshipped. Abednego, that was named after God Nego. And you can Google it, and you can see a statue of it. You can go to museums today and see the statue Nego. And uh, Abednego means to, I have it written down somewhere, Abednego means the servant of Nego. Formerly, his name was Azariah, the Lord is my helper. I think I would take the Lord as my helper more than the servant of a stone god. Anyhow, he got his name changed. And then um, uh, Shadrach means illuminated by the sun god. They had a sun god. Again, you can Google it and see the sun god. There's, uh, uh, you can go to museums and see that carving of that sun god. His name used to be Hananiah, which means God is gracious. Meshach means uh, who is like Ishtar, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sensual love. And that was who he was named after that. And I think he liked his earlier name better, which is Michelle, which is who was like God. So all three of them had a name change, got to learn a new language, got to eat different food. They have, they're, they're, they're not in their life group anymore. They're not on their Facebook page anymore. They're not connected to the city anymore. They don't have their family around. They are in another country and forced to work there. And they rise to the top. These guys excel because they're bright, they're the smartest he's got, and he puts them in charge over different affairs in the provinces of the land. And so now we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar, he's, he's become a big deal, and so he thinks, you know what? On these plains outside of Babylon, I'm going to set up this image. It's going to be 90 feet high, about nine stories. Think of a nine or ten story building, and then it's going to be nine feet wide, so this tall, skinny image made out of gold. He took a lot of gold out of Egypt, and he's putting it into this image. They've got other images, but he's making another one. Uh, you, when, when you worship idols, you never have enough. You keep adding more. And so he adds this idol, and he, and he puts it out there, and he says, here's the deal. I want to unify in our country, and we're all going to worship this one now. So everybody, you need to know this. We're going to be gathering on the plane, multitudes of people. He sends out the royal invite. So if you're a judge, if you're a magistrate, if you're a leader, if you're of any kind, you show up. And, of course, all the other people follow. Huge plane. He said, now, when you hear the music, I've got all my, there's a symphony out there. You can read about the symphony in chapter 3, verse 5. It says, at the time when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, uh, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So, got a big furnace, heat it up. If you don't bow, you're going to get thrown in there. It's got all this music happening. 
Now, this is a side note, but why have the music? And just as a side note, music is very powerful when it comes to worship. And it's something to just reflect on because this music moved them to worship. And the music we listen to will move us. So the question is, the music you listen to, what does it move you to worship? Because it'll move you somewhere. Now, there's music that's very dark. There's music that often moves us to worship God. There's something in between that's just fun. But I think you really need to say and discern by the Holy Spirit, is the music I'm listening to causing me to worship something other than God? Because they had the best music out there, and it was causing them to worship this, this, this idol. Now, we have this big field out there, and I don't know where Daniel is. He's not in the story. He may have been on the king's business somewhere else, but he's not there. And so everybody is bowing. Everybody bows down, but these three guys, they're not bowing. And there's some guys called Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are the smartest group here. They're kind of the the leaders. They they, they kind of got an axe to grind with Daniel and these three guys because in the previous chapter, the king had a dream. And so he called these smart Chaldeans and said, can you guys explain to me what's happening? And they go, king, nobody can explain this. And Daniel and these three guys said, yeah, we can do this. And so they explained. And so they kind of had egg on their face. And so they're upset. And so when these three Hebrew guys don't bow, guess who tips off the king? They come running to the king. Oh, king, so worthy to be praised. Wonderful king. Flatter, flatter, flatter. You know what? There's three guys who aren't bowing down. And the king says, Really? Bring them to me. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're brought before the king. And the king says, is this true? See, remember, this is his starting lineup. These are guys that he's put in charge of different areas. He really believes in them. He gave them the scholarship. He's trained them. They're his best boys. And now they're saying they don't bow. Is this true that you're not bowing? Let's do this one more time. For three guys, he does the whole thing. Strike up the band, everybody back in position. We got three guys who didn't bow. They're pretty important to me. I'd really like them to stick around. I don't want to throw them in the furnace. So can you get that orchestra organized again? And uh, everybody back in their positions one more time. Let's bow before the idol. All right, let's go. He says, is this true? Because look, just just bow. No, careful. He doesn't say, I want you to renounce your God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you have to confess this is God. He doesn't ask for that. He just says, look, just bow one time. You know what? You got others out there from your country that are doing it. Uh, All these other leaders, look, by the way, I paid your scholarship. I've been feeding you. I trained you. Come on. Ask for forgiveness later. Just bow. I'm paraphrasing a lot here. But that's sometimes where we are, where we're, you know what, I'll just, I'm just going to give in to this. The whole culture is going that way. I think these guys were really, really courageous. I think the gutsiest people today are the ones in our culture have the courage to stand up and say, I'm not going to bow. I know you're going that direction. I know it's not popular. I know... we live in an anti-Christ society in many ways. So why would you say that? Well, you can talk about God, but try talking about Jesus. 
take another prophet's name in vain and watch what happens. But you can use Jesus' name in vain, and it's more and more common. It's, there's, a, there's this push against that. Well, they lived in a culture that was very much anti their God. And these guys stood up. One of the guys last night that was water baptized, a young man by the name of Jake, just graduated from high school. Two years ago, in high school, he committed his life to Christ. Great athlete, popular in school, but he made the decision to follow Christ. You know what happened to his popularity? Took a big hit. But he said, you know what? I've decided I'm going to follow Christ. These guys had the courage in front of a king to stand up and say, no, we're, we're, not, we're not going to bow. Now, why could they put such trust in God? Our, we have three simple points this morning. One, they believe God was strong and he's able to take care of them. Two, they believe God's intent is always good. And thirdly, that God had a good track record. Three simple things. Now, I'm going to pick on Harvey here this morning. Harvey, I need you to come up and just stand here in front of me, just somewhere down here in this area. Give Harvey a big hand here this morning. He's the tallest guy I can find in the room. And for what we're going to do, I need a tall, tall helper. So what, I, what I'm proposing to do is I want to fall backwards off the stage today. And I want to fall into his arms and have him. Now, we have not rehearsed this, have we, Harvey? No, we haven't rehearsed this. But what I'm proposing, I'd fall backwards and he would catch me. So if I'm going to trust him to do this, I have to be totally surrendered. I have to just trust is a total surrender. Yeah. Uh, you have been working out, right, Harvey? <laughs> so if I was to trust him, there's three things that I'm thinking about. One. Is he able? Is he strong enough? You know, if he was, uh, you know, 10 years old or something, I'm not going to put him up there, but I want somebody who, who's strong enough. So is he strong enough? Is he able? Second thing I'm going to trust him is what's his intent? <laughs> yeah, is it good? Okay. Because if his intent is, you know what? Uh, I got an issue with. Dave, I, I think this is a good time just to step out of the way and see what happens. I'm able to do it, but man, you know, I don't know about that. So I have to trust his intent. I have to trust that he's able. And then the third thing I need to trust is his track record. Now, I really don't want to be his guinea pig. I, I, hopefully that he's, he's caught somebody before, etc. Thanks, Harvey, you can be seated. We're not actually going to do that this morning. <laughs> it's not that I don't trust you. I just have more to preach, that's all. So... Now, that's, the same thing works for your doctor. If you have a surgery coming up, you say, okay, is this doctor, is he qualified? Is he a doctor? Then you'd ask yourself, well, what's his intention? Is, does he really care about people? And et cetera. And then you'd be thinking, you know, what's his track record? Has he, is, am I his guinea pig? Is this the first time he's ever done this operation? Uh, I prefer to have a doctor who has had a great track record. And then you put your trust in them. It's the same thing with our walk with God. One, God is able. God is strong. Not only is he strong, God loves us. God's intention is good. He never wants to hurt us. God is love. 
I know this is simple, but it's so profound for putting our trust in him. And then thirdly, God has an amazing track record. You are not his guinea pig. If you come to say, God, I've got this big need, and I'm wondering if you've ever done this before. Could, like, uh, our marriage is really going through a rocky time. Have you helped anybody else on this before? God has helped a lot of marriages. He's helped a lot of needs. And God will never, ever forsake you. N-E-V-E-R. I will never leave you or forsake you. We lose trust when people forsake us. We lose trust when people don't keep their commitments. We lose trust when people don't show up. But our God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am the Lord your God. I do not change. I am consistent. I am there for you. They had that kind of a trust in God, these three guys. And so the king, he's, he's ticked off. He's blazing mad. He's in a rage when they say after the second offer, no, I'm not going to do it, king. He freaks out. Now, that's an interesting point because depending on what you worship will yield according fruit. He was worshiping these other idols, and when he was under pressure, a volcano went off. These guys are under pressure, huge pressure, and look at their response. Number one, God is able. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. Do you sense just a little bit of confidence there? A little bit of trust? Our God's able. There's no freaking out. There's no... Well, I don't know about that. You know, those people shouldn't have bowed. And there's, they, they're not turning on the other people that bowed. They're not calling the king a tyrant. They're just very calm. No, we don't even need to have a huddle on this. We don't even need to pray about this. We're, we're not going to bow. One of the fruits of the Spirit is peace. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall what? Guard. And keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This almost sounds like an oxymoron, but peace is an incredible weapon. When Gideon went into battle, God introduces the name Jehovah Shalom. You would think God would introduce as he's going into battle, God the mighty warrior. Sometimes he says, no, I'm the God of peace. What do you need most when you go into war, whether it be fighting for your health, fighting for your marriage, fighting for your company, fighting for your country? If you have peace, if you have calm, if you have a sound mind, how many know you have an advantage? If you're freaking out, you, your brain's all over the place. But if you have peace in your core and you're facing the most powerful man on the planet who's telling you, dude, if you don't bow... You're going in that furnace. You are minutes away from a very ugly death. What do you want to do? King, let me tell you. As I said here, I have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, the God I'm serving, he's able. That, folks, is a high level of trust. And guess what? We have the same God. As much as he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, folks, he is with us. He is not a respecter of persons. He's there for you. Our God's able. So they were very confident that God was there with them, that he was able. And then secondly, they knew God's intent was good. 
God's more than just having good intentions. His intent is good every time. People trust others when they know their intentions are good. But if we're suspicious that if they have a hidden agenda, we don't relax. If I was supposed to fall back into the arms of Harvey there, the more relaxed I am, the better it will be. But if I'm all tensed and knotted up, it's not going to go very good. And the more we are trusting, the more at peace we are, the more relaxed we are to let go and trust God. There is an interesting book that came out a few years ago called Contented Cows Give Better Milk. True. The guy's Bill Catlett. He wrote this book. And he thought of the title because Carnation Company, now Nestle, said that their milk product came from contented cows. Growing up on the farm, milking cows, I know this to be true. And university studies will show that if you name your milk cow, you will get better milk and more milk if you name the cow. And so I can think back to our little barn, and when I was in grade five, my dad was milking nine cows, and I was milking three cows. We had 12 cows, and they all had a name, and they all came into the little barn, and uh, I know where Molly stood, I know where Blackie stood, I know where Spotty stood. One we called Ayrshire, she was a, the breed Ayrshire, we just called her Ayrshire, because we, I don't know why we didn't have a name for her, but we had all these different, she didn't know the difference, she thought it was nice, and so we had all these different names for cows. And, you know, as a kid, I'm 10 years old, and I'm coming home from school, long ride on the school bus, and then I got to get the, the chop up, feed the cows. I got to get the cows, chase them in with a dog, and get them all in their stalls. And I'm like any other boy, and I, I really don't want to be doing chores, to be honest. I, I was a work in progress, still a work in progress. And you'd sit down on this little bucket or this little stool. And, you know, when I was younger, I had a hard time holding the bucket between my knees. You're supposed to hold it between your knees and not put it on the ground and then just milk the cow. And uh, every once in a while, I would sit on the ground and my, my dad said, son, hold that bucket between your knees. Don't spill any milk. And so I had to be careful. And then you're sitting there and you're milking away. And the cow's got flies all along its back. And so its tail, it's been kind of swinging in the gutter. And it'll come around, it'll slap you in the face, and it hurts. <laughs> now, you're not supposed to do this, but as a kid, I just boom, punch that cow and stop that. <laughs> and my dad comes and says, son, we don't hit animals. My, my dad was very strict about not hurting animals. And, and so we learned from a young age that you, you, your, your animals are treated with respect. Says, son, you can't hit the cow. If you hit the cow, she won't milk, let her milk down. She, and the cow will look around. Moo, she just kind of look around at you. What did you do to me? And then you try milking her. Mm, mm, there's nothing. Nice, Molly. Nice, Molly. You're a nice cow. And when she knows your intent is good, you can milk away. The milk just comes down. But if your intent is bad, she says, no way. You can pull all you want. There ain't no milk coming. And so... Now, that's true in relationships. If we are trusting that person, and if they have good intent, we're much more likely to yield ourselves to others. And when we trust God, there's this peace that comes with it, Jehovah Shalom. And then lastly, we're running out of time here quickly. God has a strong, strong track record. Not only is he able, they said to him, our God will deliver us. Then in verse 28 and 29, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why did he say that? Because they threw the boys into the furnace, and the king watches this, 
He goes over and looks from a distance and he counts. First of all, he's surprised they're walking around. They're not burning. They're walking around. This fire's been heated up seven times stronger. It could melt iron. And these guys are walking around in there. And he goes, one, two, three. No, one, two, three, four. No. Four, three, two, one. He looks over his advice. Uh, Didn't we throw three guys in there? He said, yes. Well, there's four. And the last guy, he looks like that's the son of God. What is this? What was it? It was what we call a Christophany, Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. In the middle of that fiery storm, God was there with them. And God is with you in your fiery storm. When we put our trust in him, God shows up in the midst of them. He didn't keep them out of the furnace, but he was with them in the furnace. God doesn't keep you out of fiery storms, but he's with you in the fiery storms. Jesus said, if you hear my sayings and do them, you'll be like you built your house on the rock and the storm came, but your house stays standing. Just because we follow God and trust him doesn't mean we're immune from challenges in life, but he is with us in the challenges of life. Look at this last verse here. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 13. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery troubles that are coming in order to test you. What is it testing? Your faith. Your faith is more precious than your bank account. Your faith is more precious than gold. Your faith is more precious than your apartment. Your faith is more precious than your cars. Your faith is more precious than your business. Your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith. If you have faith in God, you got enough. You can be on an island out somewhere. You can be in Timbuktu or Tuktuk or whatever. But if you got faith in God, Thank you so much for listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast. We hope that today's message has inspired you to live in a life fully devoted to following Christ. Be sure to check out our website for other ways to watch, listen, or share this message. For more information, go to coastalchurch.org.